0: Looks like, um, but we don't know, you know, what the clothing system looks like. We don't have in our mind's eye what a textile mill looks like, or you know, even what a cotton plant looks like. Um, in fact, if you uh, Google um, is linen, this is just talking about a different fiber. It'll autocomplete, It did for me anyway. To is linen cotton. You know, we don't kind of understand our clothing world um, at all. And, and because it's also now been globalized and outsourced, we don't see any of it. So I think that's m- the issue and kind of the, the driving force to for writing this book was to tell that story of our genes and how we not only outsourced um, the jobs, we outsourced the pollution um, and, and and kind of created a race to the bottom in terms of the lowest... Um, labor protections and the lowest environmental protections globally
1: one of the things you put you haven't unraveled uh was the fact that it wouldn't be a huge expense uh to attach uh, i think you said 14 to 25 cents per garment or i'm not sure exactly what the item was Mm -hmm. but if you put that on top of it that would give these folks that are li- working in places like bangladesh and elsewhere a living wage uh, that could be attached by the the american buyer or, or consumer i guess um is is that some something that's out there somebody's talking about it i mean from a governmental standpoint or uh, industry
0: yeah i mean th- it's it's being spoken about in, in europe in the work that um we're doing at the new standard institute which is uh, my regular day job is, is really looking into um, policy that takes, you know, living wages into account. And I would say just kind of two things on that is, um, you know, as you mentioned, it, it really is, um, would be an not significant um, price increase per garment. And that's even assuming that the cost is passed on to the buyer. Um, I think the other thing that is kind of, you um, important to, to, to realize about the fashion industry is that, um, some, if you go on the Forbes, you know, billionaire list, some of the wealthiest people in the world are deriving their wealth from, um, from the fashion industry. So, you know, it can also be that the owners of the companies, you know, also, um, bear that burden. Um, and I, um, in, within the, uh, unraveled, I, talk about what happens, you know, in the domestic economy. And I think it is important to realize, you know, to, to recognize that um, we, we can't just pass these costs always on to the customer um, because they might not be in a position um, to, to take on that cost. And looking at, you know, where the wealth is being accumulated, that might be a, a place to um, include that cost.
1: Uh, when you, pardon me, when you talk about... Uh large accumulation of wealth, I guess we can't leave out Amazon and Bezos, um, which takes up, uh, you know, was that, as you mentioned earlier, were, were you aware of all that when you started off? Because you said you were, you know, tracking these genes around the world, but your your section on, on Amazon is, is pretty telling. Um, when, when did that, uh, you know, how did that happen?
0: Yeah, I mean, I didn't set out to write um, a chapter, dedicated to Amazon, but you know, what the book is trying to do is trace your average pair of jeans. And today, um, Amazon is the likely place, um, that it's going to go, um, when you purchase, um, jeans online. And I think within the fashion world, certainly, uh, people don't recognize the enormous role that Amazon is playing both within, the fashion and apparel industry, but within our economy more broadly, as we um, as those distribution jobs, um, those jobs where humans are turned into machines are becoming an increasingly larger part of our economy, um, and Amazon is really the the leading edge when you speak to. Um, labor experts, um, or people, you know, with, with, within the economic circles, you know, what, what they are saying is that the way in which Amazon is operating is the way in which every company now wants to operate. And so when you have that in mind, and then, you know, when I was able to go speak to the actual people working in these distribution facilities, just how, not just the, the, uh, wages, which, you know, leaves, um, you know, many of those people on, on food stamps, but the mind numbing um, inhumanity of being expected to operate as a machine only with the threat of being replaced by one.
1: And, you know, given that, and, and you know, we've heard, uh, I think Walmart was, was one that comes to mind where bathroom breaks was an issue, perhaps <laughs> still is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but it, it was certainly in the news there for a while. And now we're hearing the same thing regarding Amazon as they continue to, to flourish. Is, is there a point though for the public to, um, you know, cause I mean, I think especially during the pandemic, uh, Amazon was almost looked at as, as a savior mm-hmm. because, uh, the, you know, the obvious reasons, but now we're coming out of that hopefully, um, You know, should people have a different reaction to this or, or, you know, I'm I'm wondering what the public's part in this, uh, given that they all like uh, things arriving at their door in a little box um, that we've gotten that habit. Um, How how do you change that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, well, one of, you know, in doing the research um, and the the garment industry has such a strong connection to the labor movement. In fact, it was um, women garment workers in New York that um pushed for some of the the early the earliest gains within the labor movement and and brought us things like the weekend <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> yes that revolutionary um idea not
1: to be forgotten yeah not, yeah uh... not
0: not to be forgotten and so you know when you look at the evidence it's um having unions and the ability to organize um, and to collectively um, uh you know, ask and seek out, um, higher wages, better conditions being, you know, having an ability to use, you know, a bathroom when one wants, you know, that's really, you know, what, what the research seems to suggest is the, the strongest way, the best way, um, for, uh, workers to be able to, to, to improve their conditions. Um, and so I think when, you know, uh, it's not to say to um, stop shopping at Amazon, but we need to think kind of systematically and and support uh, stronger uh, labor laws so that the people that are working at Amazon are getting their fair share.
1: Uh, I mentioned uh, the the many varieties, people who haven't uh, perhaps heard about the book Unraveled, we're talking about Maxine, uh, the author, Maxine Bidet. you, you you get into that uh, beautiful uh, section on uh, Edward Bernays, uh which you know I happen to know about only because my dad was in PR and oh
0: wow. uh,
1: you know it, he's the, the you know the, the patron saint or whatever you want to say of that <laughs> yes but you, you start thinking about what what he's and not just put it on him but but that mindset um, it's fascinating that that you know consumerism as a way to control the masses I mean it's like wow (laughs) it's almost a science fiction story no
0: no it is I mean that to me was I think the kind of the most shocking bits of of research is going into the stories of Edward Bernays and um and you know as you mentioned he's you know the kind of godfather of PR he in and created the term public relations he was before that um working in the propaganda department of the um, US government and he decided that after the war propaganda was not, this is World War II, um, was not seen, or World War I, excuse me, was not seen as um, uh, a nice word and so he came up the, with the the term public relations which I think is just a telling story. Um, but you know w- w- what's so shocking about what was being discussed at that time Um, was that, you know, through Edward Bernays and uh, bankers and, um, you know, leaders in government, there was a real... drive to get people to see themselves as consumers rather than citizens. Um, And there's, you know, a quote from the book of of a a leader at Lehman Brothers saying, um, you know, we must get people to see themselves as consumers first and citizens second. And just kind of the very anti-democratic small D um, nature of that, you know, that it was really trying to quell the masses so that we didn't have a voice that we, we didn't, you know, set up a system, you know, that worked for us. Um, I think that's such an, you know, an important kind of takeaway from the book, you know, that in which, you know, you asked me, why did I, why did I write it? Um, hearing about that, and just kind of regaining our sense of self as members of a community that have a voice that can determine the laws and the systems in which we work, and that we don't have to operate with this kind of extreme capitalism with um, you know major winners and um, otherwise losers we can change all that
1: it, it made me think that that part of, of your book um, of right after 2001 mm-hmm. the the terrorist attack in New York and, and elsewhere Um, I, and I don't know if, from whence it came but a White House or, or some administration I think it was Bush. yeah you know go shopping mm-hmm. Uh, you know let's get back to our routine I mean it was almost like oh yeah that's that's what we need to do you know <laughs> go back back to the stores uh, but anyway that's 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 the uh, uh just one part of of a fascinating book um you know the 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 growth of that industry and I guess it's the global industry now we've we've seen it in in other things I'm wondering you know with coffee uh there's there's you know we have some very strong things about Um, you know, giving, making sure it's a fair wage for the person that grows the coffee. That seems to have, you know, gotten a little traction, at least in the coffee shops Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, along with being organic and everything else, could the same thing happen with clothing?
0: Yes, it's absolutely possible. And, um, you know, I think that we can either do it through labeling, which is, you know, the fair trade coffee movement is, is through that. Um, Or, or we can do it through legislation where we say, you know, I think also just looking historically at the fashion impact in the U S when I said in the sixties, you know, 95% of what Americans wore was American made. Well, it was the, you know, the fashion industry. And when we once saw the dyes, you know, from our clothes flowing into our local rivers, it was partly that, that set up. Um, the rise of the Environmental Protection Agency. Um, and you know, it was, again, the, the garment workers that um, set up some of those, the basic uh, labor infrastructure domestically. And through globalization, it was actively lobbied um, that those protections would not be included in global trade agreements. So I think, um, yes, we could have a label, that would make it the consumer choice, but we can also just have it, the rules of doing business where, you know, in which we say, if you wanna to sell to this very large um, US uh, consumer base, you, you know, you have to play by our rules and, and it, you can't exploit workers and destroy the environment, um, you know, while you're creating throwaway clothing.
1: Yeah, and as you're, as you're speaking, I'm thinking, I'm old enough to remember the look for the union label, Mm-hmm. uh jingle or song whatever it was, which was very successful uh unfortunately it's probably <clears throat> no longer pertinent but uh, that's you know an example of what you know we could see again perhaps there's something along those lines if, if, it, if somebody cared about it. Um, you know one more thing, Maxine and that's you know the the rise of, of i guess the fast fashion cheap clothes uh, you know and this has been going on for some time. Is is that got to change, or is it just got to be modified? What what is your thought there? Because you know, public taste is a is a tricky one.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think um, this our disposable relationship to clothing um, definitely has to change. I mean, there are things that factory you know brands can do to improve their you know supply chain and improve energy efficiency and um, address labor concerns. Uh, But we're not going to be able to, you know, exist within planetary bounds in which we have clothing that, you know, we throw away in the the same way we throw away a cup of, you know, an empty cup of coffee. Um, And, you know, there are are some pretty staggering um, data points that um, a a survey of young women, it was one in three found that um, they thought their clothing was old after wearing their garments only once or twice. Mm. Um, And that is that is staggering. That is, um, you know, when, you know, the book goes in detail of all the resources, um, human, natural and otherwise to create a garment to then have such a disposable relationship to it um, uh, has devastating consequences. And it's not just, you know, people, you know, as, as, as it was framed, well, you know, consumers have to change, but I think we also just have to recognize, you know, going back to Edward Bernays, um, how much advertising and signaling from influencers and celebrities there are um, to get us to make those purchases. Um, and social media, of course, only exacerbates and accelerates all of this. Um, and you know, part of the book was not just speaking to regular shoppers about relationship with clothing. And I can tell you, it was, you know, once you dug in a little bit deeper, as I, you know, get to do in the book, you know, people, women in particular, have a very stressful relationship with their clothes. It's not such a pleasurable one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think, you know, we really have to look as a society as to the, the messages that we're sending and, um, and the the social pressure and anxiety that is coming from all of these messages um, to consume, consume, consume.
1: Yeah, it's um, unbelievable. Uh, One, pardon me, Maxine, the last thing I want to tell you is I was taken with the name uh, because my granddaughter, born just about a year, exactly a year ago, uh, her name, it wasn't anything I had to do with, but the name they gave it was Zadie.
0: Oh really? Oh, Wait, awesome. <laughs> well, spelled a little <laughs> a little
1: differently from your website. Uh, Z A D I E, but you you spell it Z A D E Y, is that correct?
0: It was Z A D
1: Y. Okay. And uh, tell us just quickly if you could what what is Zadie? Your so Z- your
0: Yeah, um Zadie was the the clothing company um that I uh started before um the New Standard Institute, which is the work I do now, and um, before the book, and it was, um, you know, an effort to try to create clothing in which we actually knew the entire supply chain, um, and everything was produced domestically, um, down to the uh, cotton and sheep ranch in Oregon, um, and it was there that I, you know, began to just understand. Um, the the impacts of the industry and also how the industry itself didn't know its own um, impacts and and that was what led me to uh, start both New Standard Institute and and work on this book to share not just with um, you know everyday citizens the impact but the, even the industry itself.
1: Well, very good. Well, Maxime Bidet, thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much uh, uh, for, you. for
1: your book, your time, uh, and and good luck to you as. Uh, on those many uh, points that you raised in the book, <laughs> from Amazon to global pollution to uh, to our own outlook on uh, on consumerism. So anyway, thank you so much, Maxine.
0: Thank you very much.